This program is brought to you by Grand Valley State University. All right. Today we're talking to Marv Hunter of Byron Center, Michigan. The interviewer is James Smither of Grand Valley State University. Uh, Mr. Hunter, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your own background. Uh, where and when were you born, for instance? Well, I was born basically right in Byron Center here. Mm -hmm. And I, I built a house there when I got married. It's about two blocks from here and we're still in it yet. All right. And uh, I have no reason to move ever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what, did, what did your family do? Um, I had four children and they all live, they touch me. Oh, they're four lots, so we all touch each other, yeah. All right. I can't get rid of them. And what did your parents do, actually? Well, my dad was a furniture uh, cabinet maker in Grand Rapids. The furniture in business was a, was a, a big thing at that time. Mm -hmm. he, liked, he liked wood. He was, my grandpa was on a farm in Byron, miles east of here, and uh, my dad didn't like farming. Mm -hmm. so my grandpa sold the farm, and my dad, he went in the factory, he liked woodworking. He did that the rest of his life. Did he work for one company, or did he change a few for, times? Mainly for John Whittacombe. Mm -hmm. Although in the meantime, he did uh, leave there, and he had a milk route in Byron here for 12 years. Mm -hmm. Picked up milk by the farmers, you know, in the 10-gallon cans, and they just uh, got to know all the people around here. Mm -hmm. And also, I forget now, he also said that you're, the, um, um, in Byron, he had the grocery store for mm -hmm. five years on the corner there, 100 in Wichokma. Yeah. Okay. Um, then, when, then he went back to the furniture factory and he liked that. Right. Uh, then, what do you remember about the Second World War? I mean, about how old were you when it ended? And All I know is that my dad just missed it, and in between, I just missed it. Mm -hmm. He just, and uh, I was a little bit too young then. Mm -hmm. But I, I was, uh, I'm a history nut, mm -hmm. and I watched the Second World War, all the newsprints I could, you know, all the, and Gabriel Hitter was a big. A commentator at that time, we listened to him every you know, I would follow it real close, Second World War. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very close, yep. And when did you graduate from high school? In 1945, by your center here. What did you do then after you graduated? I, you know, everybody says uh, go to college. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what for in them days, you know, so I just did. Mm -hmm. I went to Kelvin College for two years. And then I, what did I go for? I took, uh, Mechanical drawing, because then mm -hmm. I had that two weeks, I didn't like it. And then the doctor in Byron here, he said, you know, if you go become pharmacist, I'll give you all my business, Dr. Benign. Mm -hmm. So I changed to pre-med. Mm -hmm. So I had pre-med for two years at Calvin. Then I enlisted or signed up for um, school in Ferris. In, you know, that was the big pharmacy school right. in Ferris. And then I was all ready to go, and I scratched my head. Do I want to be a pharmacist or don't I? So you know what? I went to the furniture factory too, mm -hmm. to Nichols and, uh, and Cox, and I worked in a furniture factory for uh, three years. Uh, Nichols and Cox, and also, um, well, I can't think of the other one now, yeah. Okay. In factory environment, I got free, I don't yeah, yeah. Okay, and then how did you wind up in the military? Well, <laughs> I was going to get drafted. Okay. And uh, I knew what the color of the draft envelope was. I live in a farm here, with all these 20 acres around here, it was ours. And, and uh, I looked in there, it was a brown envelope, and I knew it was a draft notice. And I knew it was for me, so I slammed it shut, and I said, you know, I got some college here, why not enlist? Mm -hmm. So I did. So I enlisted, I said, I want to go to the Air Force, I didn't want to get shot at. And then uh, 
How'd that go again? Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to sign up for pilot training too. What the heck, you know, mm -hmm. never make it in the world. But anyway, I had to go in the Air Force and they put every Air Force guy at that time. And even now you have to take your basic in Lackland Air Force Base in Texas, everyone, no matter what. And I went to my basic training there. And basically what they were learning in the march, you know, and to take orders and all that stuff, you know, and they give you a uniform and all that stuff. And How long was the basic training? My basic training was six weeks like everybody else's. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, they uh, said, where do you, uh, what do you want to do? You fill out a, a blank. They said, you've got a good rating on here. You can do what you want. And I said, well, I'll go to radio school, I guess. So they put me up in radio school near in a, some Air Force base near Chicago. I was ready to go, you know. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, all of a sudden, this school was didn't have any room for me for a while, so they put new basic a second time, went through it twice. Didn't <laughs> do me. Then all of a sudden, they came up on the, on the um, billboard, Marvin Hunter report for duty in Columbus, Mississippi, for flight training. Mm -hmm. It blew me away. So they put me on a train. First time I ever had a train with a Pullman. Slept on it at night. It was really something. Mm -hmm. And we woke up in the morning, some rail yards there, and there. The engine was going, of course, but anyway, with a the truck, they brought us to Columbus Air Force Base in the Mississippi. And we were the first class here, so it was all weeds, and it was all everything, unpainted, and we were the first class here. So the first couple weeks, we pulled weeds and painted and everything else to keep get the thing rolling. Was the base sort of left over from World War II? Yeah, right left over base, yeah. It was, Air, it was Air Force Base, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, what kind of impression did Mississippi make on you? Uh, did you see it uh, Very, very much, very much. Yeah, it was deep south, mm -hmm. I'll tell you that, yeah. And uh, even when we, uh, I flew the T-6, which is a trainer at that time, it was the trainer, and uh, we had our training out, we f took off for a main base, went out to a cotton field mm -hmm. out in the Moonies, and then in between the cotton field was a pasture, and we practiced our our planes on the old pasture, and all the people in the pit and cotton, they were looking at us, mm -hmm. you know, watching, you know, that left a big impression on me. Mm -hmm. And one time, too, we had to... Uh, have uh, well, we had our uniforms on, and they're having a parade in uh, Columbus, Mississippi, right down the middle of the street. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were all, you know, we had pretty sharp our uniforms on. I know I had a band in front of us, you know, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden the the bands played Dixie, mm -hmm. and people went absolutely nuts. I, I never ever forget that. They just went crazy, <laughs> and we, you know, I didn't, that's another big impression I got from yeah, Mississippi. Yeah, they still the old, they're still fighting the war yet. Okay. Uh, tell, me, tell us a little bit more about the uh, flight training experience. What was that like for you? Well, the, the, that was just a primary flight over there, and we had ground school in the morning, and in the afternoon we flew. And the next day we had ground school, and in the morning again to learn about the engine and about airfoils and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. in the afternoon we went with our instructor. Our plane was a two-seater, mm -hmm. instructor in the back seat, and we were up in the front. And after a while, you'd, you know, he took it first, and later on he let you take it, and in the end of and slowly on, you were doing the whole thing, you know, with an instructor. Had you ever been in an airplane before? No. No. <laughs> so what was that like, first time to go up? Um, well, the them, them old trainer was so terrible noisy, I couldn't mm -hmm. believe it. All the way the helmet on you, that helped some. But uh, it was uh, kind of a thrill, Yeah, especially over the old cotton fields out there, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was a thrill. Yeah, no, I'd been in pain before. No. Okay, so um, how far, how long were you uh, in Columbus then? Uh, six months, mm -hmm. and then we went, transferred to, uh, uh, that was a, uh, another base in Lubbock, Texas, mm -hmm. Air Force, and we learned this. We had the old T-6s again. They were supposed to be in the 
T28, which is more advanced, they didn't have enough of them, so we did our advanced and T60. And then we turned, learned a lot about instrument training and acrobatics mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we went on uh, longer flights or to different towns to learn about, you know, the, the different airfields and the towers and how you call in for instruction to land and mm -hmm. learned a lot of weather. And we had a hood in the front seat and they hooked it over the top of you. So you couldn't see nothing, and the structures in the back, you had to learn flying instruments, mm -hmm. you know, that way. Yeah, and uh, that, was, that was called uh, the primary, uh, no, that was advanced training, yeah, right. in, in the propeller plane, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, that was another six months. And so what do you do after that round of training? Then uh, we were done with that, and then they had a big meeting there. I know all of the pilots were there, and he had a guy up in the front, and he was reading off, you go to here, you go to here, and everybody wanted me, uh, seemed like I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and mm -hmm. I didn't. I mm -hmm. wanted to be in transport. I wanted to get shot at. Right. And, uh, but then uh, they finally got to meet Mr. Hunter. I was a um, lieutenant at that time. Mm -hmm. I got ahead of my wings. You will be a fighter pilot. you got to be kidding and then all the guys around there, yeah, hey, I'll trade with you, I'll trade you, I'll trade you. I said, okay, I'll trade you. So I went to the guy and said, nope, that was a cotton deal. I had to be in no trading. So then I got transferred to Wichita Falls, Kansas to learn to fly jets. And then we we started out in jets at the F-80. Mm -hmm. they, they were, the, but the F-80 also had a uh, plane that called a T-33. It had two seats in, mm -hmm. a seat in the front and the back, an instructor in the back, and you up in front. That's how you learn to fly first in jets. And then what a difference. Quiet, mm -hmm. fast, you know. And then we, you know, T6s were tail draggers, you know, the tail on the back. And these mm -hmm. are the tricycle landing gear. You landed this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, was, it was very much different and faster. And it was, it was kind of thrilling. Yeah. Okay. And how long did that round of training last? That only lasted six weeks. Mm -hmm. And then we got transferred to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. For six for six months, and uh, and and jets also. But then we went to the advanced F eighty six fighter plane. That was the first supersonic jet with swept back wings, and, and it was it was really a slick plane. And uh, that didn't have a double seat, so you just got in it and flew it. Right. And had no instructor. Okay. And is and, that the plane that you would actually fly into combat? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it now, had six fifty caliber machine guns on it, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was supersonic. Okay. And did they train you in sort of aerial tactics? I mean, was there a kind of a doctrine That's, that you had to follow? Um, how did uh, how were you trained to approach uh, flying was, in the combat? It was all about there, yeah. A lot of air-to-air -air combat, a lot of, uh, then we had dive bombing, mm -hmm. and we had, uh, had a, a bomber pulled a, a target, a rag we called it, mm -hmm. and we'd, we'd take, uh, go and trail the four of us, and we tried to get as many bullets in there as you could. Our, every bullet was a different color. They had dipped in paint. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we get all done. We, they'd, Mom would drop that, uh, we called it the rag, mm -hmm. in our at Las Vegas airplane. And we'd run out there in the field and count the number of colors. And one time we were doing that, there was an uh, instructor and three, three of us pilots. Now, the first one, he shot the instructor down. She <laughs> <laughs> shot him down. He got so, they call it target fixation. Mm -hmm. And then he had to bail out. And they, of course, they washed him out, and he was gone. Instructor didn't like we're good either. Okay. Uh, at what 
point, now did you go from this round of training to Korea or were there more stages in between? Um, that we got a lot of training here in Las Vegas and then we went to, um, to Korea, yeah. And when was that in terms of month and year? It was about the, it was in 53. Okay. You know, so. the 1953, I don't know the exact month, yeah. I so, do know, remember though, that uh, going to Korea, we went there again in propeller planes and it was 12 hours from San Francisco to um, Hawaiian Islands. Mm -hmm. We got off there, stretched our legs. Then we got another 12 hours to Wake Island, mm -hmm. got off there, stretched our legs. Another 12 hours to Tokyo, got there, you know, I can't imagine how long it took with the propeller mm -hmm. planes. Yeah. And I was in Tokyo about two weeks to get used to Japanese people a bit, you know. The short yeah. people in the, in, the, in the low doorways in the, the bathroom, not tell you how they were. Oh. What condition was Tokyo in at the time you were there? Because this is you know it was all scaffolds. Every one of the big buildings we had bombed it tremendously, you know, mm -hmm. and it still was um, every big tall building. And the scaffolds were all made of bamboo. Everywhere you looked at bamboo scaffolds, yeah, it was really yeah. But I turned to Japanese people. I got to like them. They mm -hmm. were very family orientated. Mm -hmm. Very family oriented. I got to really like them. Yeah, I got to change my mind on them. We hate them so you know Second World War, you know. Right. Yeah, that was a good uh, lesson for me. And so, uh, by the time you're, when you're in Japan or earlier, were you told very much about uh, what you might come up against in terms of aerial combat and things? Were they kind of training you to deal with the North yeah. Koreans or Chinese or Russians? Yeah, we we were pretty well versed in that. Yeah, and I know we were going into some dog fighting. I knew we had a high. We always in high cover. But the F-86, we were protecting our fighter bombers. Mm -hmm. They were bombing near the Yellow River, this northern part of, uh, you know, North Korea, to try mm -hmm. to keep, keep troops away from the DMZ, which wasn't right. DMZ yet, it was just front line. Right. And then uh, we tangled with them quite often, you know, and we'd, if we weren't there, they, they couldn't operate because they get shot down. So we had to keep them, mm -hmm. the MiGs. And then we always uh, went up. I'm jumping a gun, and I went to Korea. That's okay. To Seoul. Which was by Campo was right by Seoul. Mm -hmm. My first month and a half, we had just practice runs mm -hmm. to get used to what Korea looked like and what it's going to be like in combat. And we go about halfway into Korea before the MiGs got us and come back again. Mm -hmm. and, and after a while, it become time to say, hey, this is it. At this point, were the uh, North Koreans or the people who were actually flying their planes, uh, were they attacking the American lines at all or attacking Seoul or did no. they mostly stay back for defense? No. The only attack we had that time at Kempo was 10 miles above Seoul, that was our air base, mm -hmm. and then the bad check Charlie came over all the time, a little small little play after dark. Mm -hmm. He dropped his hand grenades and you never could shoot him down. Mm -hmm. And the air, 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 aircraft, they call it, an aircraft, just all over. The trace, you talk about fireworks, you'll see that once. They never could hit them. And we jumped in the trench all the time, you know, at night, and mm -hmm. that only happened maybe a dozen times. But then we, we didn't want to have a grenade on our tent. Okay. Can you describe uh, the, the first time you came into contact with the enemy in the air? Yeah, the first time I didn't, I, I see them, but they, they didn't attack us. Mm -hmm. You know, our jets, we could get uh, up to 45,000 feet, which is nine miles mm -hmm. high. You can't see us from the ground then. Right. And then... Uh, they could get to 50,000 feet, the MiGs could. Mm -hmm. And they were a little faster than we were, but we had better armament. And then uh, they had two 23 millimeter guns and a cannon, mm -hmm. and we had six 50 caliber machine guns, you know, which were quite, uh, and uh, 
they were kind of scared of us because we had a, quite a good ratio, you know, on them with them. But most of it hit and run mm -hmm. on the top. And then when we had a protecting our, our bombers down below, you know, and, and they we were, a lot of times you see the black act act stuff all around you, say, boy, that's pretty. Mm -hmm. But you're young, hey, nothing can happen to you, you know. Man, that's pretty, but look back now, my goodness, what'd they do? Okay. Did you have a specific job or assignment within your unit? Uh, when you're, you're, the unit as a whole is protecting the fighter runners down below. Uh, but was there any differentiation beyond that? Did different pilots do different things? Well, you know, the thing at that time, I was just a lowly uh, first lieutenant. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the captains and the majors, they wanted to, there's, every plane flight is two planes. Mm -hmm. You got the leader and you got your wingman. And every flight, I, I slowly, First lieutenants had to be a, a, we call it the wingman. Okay. They did all the shooting. They got all the glory. And so we got all, we got the one to get shot at. So what was, what was your job then? I mean, what did a wingman Protecting do? Protecting your, your, uh, the shooter. And then he had to protect the, um, keep the, the MiGs away from our, our dive bombers down on the ground. We're going to drop in the, in the bombs. So what would you do that would protect the pilot you were teaming? I got to watch from behind so nobody gets the MiG you don't get behind him. Mm -hmm. He's also got to watch behind me that the MiG don't get my, me either. They're not going to shoot you down unless they get behind you. You know, you can't see them coming, see? And, and, so how, yeah. and so how would you keep them from getting behind you or behind the other fellow? Well, if they get too close, you try to do a turn real tight. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in a turn like two planes, they can't get a bead on you, you know? Right. And then at, at that height, too, a turning takes 30 miles because the air is still thin. Right. And we went up, we were in auction all the time, by the way, you mm -hmm. know, up and down mm -hmm. here. So you try to make a tight enough turn that, he, that uh, he'd break off or he'd go into a spin. Mm -hmm. And many times we went to a spin too. Many times you, you spin all the way down to 20,000 feet before you can pull out again because the air is too, too thin up there. Physically, what's that like? I mean, if you're spinning down 30,000 feet? You just, uh, a lot of times you're blacked out too, you know, because you pull G's like that and, and I was blacked out many times. You can, uh, your, your functions, your brain works good, but you can't see nothing. They're mm -hmm. blacked out as can be, and you just, you just fall, and pretty soon you come to again, and with your eyes, and you wait till, and then you see the altimeter going down like that, and down, and you can't, you know, just let it go, and until you get to 20,000 feet, then you start taking uh, corrective action to get your plane under mm -hmm. control again, and go back up again. Did uh, were your planes uh, any more maneuverable than the MIGs, or the, did they do any of this any better? Than they, they were did? about the same. Mm -hmm. Our pilots, we were trained better. And when I left, we had a 10 to 1 ratio, you know, on, on kills, yeah. And they, they were kind of scared. We turned out later on, a few of the pilots were really good, and it turned out they were Russian pilots. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know until after the war, they admitted it. Yeah. And, you know, the funny part is, our, we always went to the Yellow River. That's where all the action was. Right. You could see it down there, and across the Yellow River was Manchuria. Mm -hmm. You could see all the bases down there. You right. see the airplanes, mm -hmm. and they could come up there and attack you and run back down across it, right. and we couldn't go across the river. Mm -hmm. And that, and that, you know, they, they can get at you and you can't get at them. That's kind of, yeah, that, and sometimes, you know, I better not say what really happened because it might get on. <laughs> but, you know, our radar from, from at home could only watch us fly so we wouldn't get across the river. Mm -hmm. But it couldn't see the lower 10,000 10, feet. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the pilot get mad, you know, and they go below the radar to go across the river, you know, and come back up again. <laughs> it kind of gets you that way. They get at you and shoot at you and you can't, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of things went on, you know, that uh, people don't know about. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, it was. That's unique. ain't going to be in the press, no, of course. Nothing like that. It was 50 some years ago, so oh. odds are it won't get us into that much trouble. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
But it's it, but it's also important to be aware of what actually happens when you're, yeah. you're, you're forced to follow a certain set of rules that, that don't make sense yeah. in a military yeah. sense. They do in a political sense. Yeah, yeah. You don't want a nuclear war, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got to be very difficult yeah, to be yeah, a pilot yeah. operating in yeah, those yeah. circumstances. And you know what you could do right there and what you couldn't. Right. So that's probably yeah. natural. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm kind of kidding. But uh, I got a few holes in the plane, but I never got shot down. Mm -hmm. I had a couple times come in crippled. How many missions did you fly? Um, we, when I got over there, we had to fly 100. Mm -hmm. And then I got in the 60s, and then uh, they made a rule that anybody that was married, and you did 70, you could come home. And I uh, said, boy, I know, I think I'd rather be uh, home than a dead hero, I thought, because it was getting pretty hot at times. So mm -hmm. I, I opted and went home. 70 missions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so at the time then that you... you Joined the military, you were already married. Uh, what did your wife think of all of this? Well, did, did she, I, <laughs> you know, like she knew it ahead of time when I was, you know, I signed up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I couldn't get married until I got my wings. I had mm -hmm. been a whole year first, you know, until you got your wings, then you get married. And, and, then, and then the acting started, you know. Yeah. You know, one thing, too, I can tell you, about the, we always went up on auction all the time. Mm -hmm. And, 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 I had a couple of times, three times, that uh, you're under pressurization and you're 18,000 uh, feet in your mm -hmm. cockpit, and I lost my pressurization. Mm -hmm. That knocks you out, too. You can't believe it. And all the air comes out all, all over you, can't, and mm -hmm. you can't talk. And your microphones in front of you, that far from you, can't, all you can do is, you're, uh, 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 you can't even, and airways uh, talk does not go that, uh, no. Yeah. Well, you obviously survived all of that. I mean, were there accidents uh, that were produced by this? Did people wind up crashing if they didn't wake up? Uh, What's there? Well, did people, well, were there people who didn't wake up in time and wound up crashing? I mean, did you have accidents because of this kind of thing? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was they were shot or if it was um, just because, of, you know, they were out of auction too long. We had G-suits on, too, that the more Gs you pulled, they blew up with air. Mm -hmm. You got tight to keep your blood, you know, above your stomach, you know. Yeah. I know one time I came back in uh, a jet plane engine. Am I talking too much? No. It's got uh, all rotors in the back of that, they call them blades. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether they got shot or what. There was a hole in the plane, but the rotor, a couple of them were gone, and uh, it vibrated so bad, and I had no, no power at all. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And then, uh, except uh, it just idled. And no control of the power, and then I had to get back, and I had to tell my my uh, my uh, wingman I had to go like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And I had to get back, and uh, Korea is 75 miles wide, mm -hmm. and this is about 400 miles long, and so halfway back on each side of the peninsula was our navy, mm -hmm. and then the white, on the Yellow Sea side there was an island of Chodo, and they had the dumbos there that them flying airplanes, you know, that land in the water, mm -hmm. and helicopters. So you get halfway back, you could bail out and they could uh, pick you up. And at one time in particular, I had no power, and I had 15,000 feet when I got back. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, why don't you bail out and we'll pick you up? You know, and I had 100 miles to go back home to the base yet. Mm -hmm. And boy, is that hard to bail out when you, you know, and you see the plane that's running yet. And, you know, I said, I'm going to try to make it back, see if I can't coast. Because a jet has got a 16 to 1 glide ratio. Mm -hmm. And now you start figuring 100 miles and 50,000 feet. 
And by golly, I believe I'm going to try it. Well, they say if you do go back, stay along the coast in the Yellow Sea, mm-hmm. far enough out that then North Koreans, they let, used to come out with a small boat to come and pick up them pilots, you know. They love to get mm-hmm. the pilots. I said, I'll do that. And by golly, I got back yet with just enough altitude to make a landing. Wow. Yeah, save them a million dollars in a plane anyway. Well, there you go. Plus, sure. I got to eat at the officer's club at night again. Yeah. And so oh. many things happen you, you, for you, you don't think about that. Talk about now all of a sudden. Right. So many things happen. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, what was uh, it like living uh, on the base of Kimpo? I mean, what kind of experiences did you, you know, have there? You mean in, in, in Korea? Yeah. You know, we basically had it pretty good. Mm-hmm. All I remember in breakfast, they had masses of uh, scrambled eggs and tons of bacon. Mm-hmm. You go through the mess before every morning, went through that, you know, and then coffee. And then we always had a briefing every morning mm-hmm. what our mission was going to be. And they'd tell you what plane you had. My plane was flying Dutchman, they had it written on her, you know. But, mm-hmm. but uh, we don't always fly your own plane. And then we, we in some days, you didn't have a mission. Mm-hmm. Some day you sat on alert. And every mission that was up there, we had uh, eight planes on alert there sitting there. And we were listening to the the action all the time on our radio. Mm-hmm. And if they needed help, they called for help. And we'd fly up there quick, you know, and had to be in the air in four minutes and get up there and help them get back. Sometimes they had a MIG tack in the back and they couldn't get rid of them, you know. And, and, and some of them, they didn't, didn't think, maybe didn't think of, or they run out of fuel too, you know. And they, you know. So were your missions pretty much always attacking the supply lines toward the yellow, or did you do any more direct combat support? No, I didn't. Our plane wasn't made for direct combat. You know, we had a lot of machine guns on, but mm-hmm. ours would just protect the fighter bombers. But we went down there a lot of times right with them and mm-hmm. watched the bomb drop, you know. And, but, but and, not, were, and were the fighter bombers? They dropped the bombs. But, they, but were they, I guess what I'm asking is, were their missions ones that tended to always go up to the Yalu, or were they flying some missions that were uh, attacking the Chinese front lines? No, they were only attacking the troops and attacking the river down there and attacking... Mm-hmm. And they didn't go high either. Mm-hmm. They probably 15,000 feet and they went down, you know, yeah. That, uh, that was our only mission, yeah. Did you get much information on what was going on on the ground? Or was there not much going on on the ground at that time? Well, we had them pushed back um, a long ways. And they were not, uh, they had a, where DMZ is now, the line was there. But mm-hmm. there was really no action there. Yeah. All the action was way back toward Manchuria. And we were scared to death of it. China might come in and again and jump in there, you know, and mm-hmm. that's why we didn't want to go across the river and antagonize the Chinese either. Kind of a political thing that day. The Korean War was almost a five-year deal. Now, one time the Chinese came through, you know, and they they, they took the whole peninsula except a little little Pusan triangle, mm-hmm. you know, until uh, MacArthur landed at Incheon and got behind him, scared to death out of him, and then he went back again. Yeah. yeah. And I think in terms of the history of the war, I mean, the, the North Koreans did the first, did, did that, and MacArthur beat them back. And it was when they chased them, when they went north from Incheon, that was when the Chinese army comes over the right. border and you get all of that. Right. But by the time you're there, the front is fairly well stabilized. Yeah. And they're just trying to figure out how long this thing is yeah, going to drag right. on before they do something. Right. Yeah. But in the meantime, they're sending everybody out and you're getting shot at. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it was, the Air Force was hot and heavy. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, did you get to see much of... Korea itself, or Seoul, yeah. or the people there. Yeah, yeah I did. I'm a, I love history. I used to go out in the boonies, put more clothes on. I got pictures of it on a t- that tape. I don't know if you see the tape or not that I made. But I've gone in the, in, the, in the rice paddies and talked with the people there, and they went to Seoul, and uh, I, I did that. And then I in Seoul, I, I hated to go in there because 
the soul at that time was a million people supposedly. Mm -hmm. There was not one building that wasn't burned out or mm -hmm. burned out, not one. So you go in there and all them little kids and orphans, they grab you by the legs and they grab you and it mm -hmm. so bad to one and you know not to leave. And it just made you cry. So I didn't go so very often because it just it was sickening. Yeah. I know I did go in the in the country and I watched yeah. I know one time too they were going to make our air uh, port longer there, mm -hmm. and so they had to go right to the Korean cemetery. Korean mm -hmm. cemetery, they're all big mounds, and the people there, they were digging them up, and they were getting the bodies out of there, and they were putting water and then drinking it. So it was an ancestor day, a part of the ancestry, you know. Mm -hmm. No, I went into the countryside a lot, and yeah. Uh, were there, did you meet many people who could speak any English that you could talk to? Or no, just... I, I couldn't talk to them. <laughs> so, so what would you do? You just, just looked around? Yeah. I just, just looked around and I took, took a lot of pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And how were most of the people out in the countryside living? Or what kind of living conditions did they have? Well, in, out in the country, just, uh, yeah, I, I call grass shack, made mm -hmm. flax and stuff like that in the rough. And uh, one, you didn't want to before it was out there, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of them made caves, you know. Oh, yeah. I got pictures of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And during what time of year were you there? I was there one whole year. Okay. And I would have to say that the, the weather was exactly like the Bayern Center. <laughs> the winters were the same and the summers were the same. And I think we're in the same parallel, too, pretty much. Pretty close. Yeah, I'd have to say exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go now in, in your story. You've kind of gotten us to the point where you, you've flown your missions and you've uh, basically. I guess, requested to leave. Yeah. You, you yeah. played the marriage card or whatever, yeah. uh, and you can leave. What then did you do after you left Korea? Okay. Um, I came, I left Korea, and I want to tell you a little story here, and then uh, mm -hmm. Louis Kirkster, he he, um, he signed up to go in the Army at the same time I enlisted, and he, from Byron too, and he went in the Army, he went to Korea, and they put him in front lines, and fourth fourth day, he got captured. Mm -hmm. He was a prisoner of war for four years. And he got back out the same day about that I got back to Byron and say, hey, we're going to celebrate this. Mm -hmm. So uh, we went fishing mm -hmm. through uh, Swan Lake in Elegant. And we with rowboat and we went and didn't catch a single fish. But the best fishing trip we ever had. Mm -hmm. We were there again. We went, you know, signed up together, kind of, you know, and came back again. We made it, yeah. What kind of shape was he in? By Terrible. He had to go back to the military uh, hospital again. He was skin and bones. Now, he just about died many times. Yeah, he said it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you, uh, were you still in the Air Force at that point at the, when you left? I mean, did you stay on longer? Uh, no, see, and then, uh, oh yeah, that's, and then when I got back from Korea, and I had two years yet on my contract, mm -hmm. he said, where do you want to go? Well, I said, I don't know, maybe the mid Midwest, Grand Rapids, you know. Mm -hmm. He said, how, how does uh, Dayton, Ohio sound? Right, Patterson? I said, wonderful. Okay. That's the primary base of the whole Air Force, where all mm -hmm. the generals are, you know, and all the B-36s and all the, that's what all goes on, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, wonderful. Okay, they sent me there, and then I uh, had to fly F-86s again, mm -hmm. but it was the advanced model. It, this one had the radar nose on, you could see 50 miles away, and it had the afterburner on, and a parachute and a tail, and we were, had... 20 foot, no, 36 rockets instead of uh, machine guns. Mm -hmm. Each one could uh, destroy a uh, bomber. And that was an Air Defense Command. And then uh, 
there again, we uh, they were brand new too. They just broke mm -hmm. out, and we had to get as many hours we could on them just to get all the bugs out of them. Right. So every time we came back in, they had to write out a sheet what was wrong with it, and then they were fixing it up, you know. But basically, um, and also about yeah, every other day, we sat on alert too for four hours, even at night. Mm -hmm. And we had to be in the, up in the air in four minutes, even when you slept there. They call it, uh, we were learning to be air alert, you know, and be, because basically I know a cold war was going on in Russia, mm -hmm. and the bombers at that time were just as fast as fighters, and if you got behind a bomb, you never catch them. Mm -hmm. So the only, only way you could shoot a bomber down, you had to be vectored by a radar ahead of them, so you got to meet them. Right. And we were practicing that all the time in our bombers. And then we were, we'd be moved over to uh, Alaska or Newfoundland or something if, you know, Russia attacked. Mm -hmm. But we were practicing over here. To do that, that's all that we did practice, and then we did a lot, of, a lot of other stuff too, you know. When you were doing your practice flights, did they tell you where you had to fly, or could you just go out and go wherever you wanted? About half the time, just go. So where'd you go? Byron Center. And what did you do there? I went over to Byron. Yeah. So, so about, you were buzzing Byron. About how I, I only did that about three times. <laughs> well, it, it seems to be legend around here. I've heard it already. About how high were you flying when you did that? Well, some information you don't say, but I mean, uh, they, they, they thought kind of low. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I knew I was getting out anyway mm -hmm. in two years, otherwise you wouldn't do it. Right. And also the the head of my squadron, Wright Patterson, was uh, Colonel Lane, and I was a wingman in Korea too, so mm -hmm. he'd protect me anyway. But but uh, it, was a, it was a good two years in Dayton. A lot of times we get... In the middle of the night, we got um, scrambled, they call it, for unidentified flying objects. Mm -hmm. And that was the time that they see them thinking people, you know, so we'd go up in there and they vector us to a place up there and where it wasn't, we never found anything. Mm -hmm. But it was also good night practice, mm -hmm. night flying. Night flying is nice taking off, it's nice flying, but beautiful, but I, I, I don't like landing at night. There's too many things can happen. Mm. Did you have to fly at night at all? back in Korea over all of your missions? That's had some night missions too, yeah. Mainly they were there to, uh, the pilot got shot down mm -hmm. and he was calling on his radio, you know, where he was about. Mm -hmm. And we had to kind of fly high cover. Well, the planes lower than us would uh, maybe try to pick him up or drop him supplies or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that happened too. And then that was night flying there too. But boy, I tell you, when it's dark, it's dark over there. It wasn't electricity and wow. Mm -hmm. You didn't hardly know where you were, you know. Yeah. Okay. When you were uh, based in, in Dayton, at that point, did your wife come down and, and live there with you? We lived, yeah, she was down there. We lived in Dayton. We lived right in the CCC barracks, yeah. CCC boys had them there, and then they moved them in there. And, yeah, we lived there in Dayton for two years in the Air Force, yeah. And what did she do while she was down there? Well, we had uh, our first child there, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and that's about it, yeah. It was, it was pretty, pretty good duty, yeah. I did get a, in my travels a lot of instrument training too. And then when I, got, I'm, well, it's, I'll tell you later on when I got out how that went. But yeah, yeah. But okay. anyway, after the, yeah. Well, are there other things that you recall about your time in the service that you haven't plugged in here someplace that uh, would be good to know? Well, I put a couple things down here about ten minutes before I came here. Okay. And what them. Talked about depressurization, the Chodo Island. Mm -hmm. Well, one time, yeah, I was, you know, every six weeks we had got, uh, when I was in Korea, we had to fly back to Japan. They brought us and we had to bring back a new airplane to replace mm -hmm. our losses. 
they come in on aircraft carriers and they'd put them together there. Right. And one time I took off, I was just taking off, I got over Tokyo Bay, and the red light came on and that old smoking cockpit. Boy, if that don't scare you. <laughs> so I called the power, hey, clear the area on land, no matter what. And I kept around there and got smoke, and I opened my cockpit a little bit so I get a little bit of air in there, you know, mm -hmm. get the smoke out of there. And boy, I came around like that, and I came in, and and, and, and I landed when I see nothing. Turned out that the uh, when they put together the alternator in there, they forgot to tie the wires good, and the wires in there were shortened. Mm -hmm. And it got a red light, and you know, red light usually means you know blow up, you know. Yeah. Then the, oh, by the way, yeah, and then when you on them. When you bring a plane back from uh, Tokyo to Korea, you put great big wing tanks on. They call them uh, for a lot of a lot of gas because it's long ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't think what they call them again. Big tanks on the, on the wing. Yeah, and then uh, I can't think of the name or no. But then I dropped them too quick with the Tokyo Bay because you can't land with them thing full of gas right. to blow your tires. Then right. we got a call from a guy, a fisherman in Tokyo Bay. Hey, what are you going on? You're just about to kill me. You dropped them tanks <laughs> on my, my boat. Never forget that. Yeah. So what that message we, got to you somehow. What? I mean, the, the message actually got. Well, they to told you. they told me. Yeah, yeah. That the next me I can drop. But they're not. I was going to drop them anyway. I didn't even look at no fishing boat in the bay when you got a red light on. That's one of the crazy little thing that happened. Another time, yeah, one more here. Oh yeah, we. Um, <clears throat> another time we went with three of us. We were flying planes back from Tokyo to Korea, and then we took off. And all of our radio compasses, they showed different. We were up in the cloud, we were above the clouds, you know, and then we just didn't, and we didn't know where we were. And we flew and we flew and we didn't, and we couldn't make out nothing. And then finally, uh, it, and nothing seemed right. So we, we called the, we squawked emergency. Little mm -hmm. button back there, you, you turn it on and any radar in the area picks you up and it shows an emergency with one of the planes and, then we called them. We said, well, "What? We don't know where we're at. And we don't know what's, what's going on." And they said, "Well, you're still over Tokyo yet, or over old Japan?" I said, "We well, can't be. We've been flying two hours." You know, they didn't know what jet stream was in them days. Mm -hmm. We got caught in a jet stream. We knew we weren't going to play. Mm -hmm. They said, "We're going to bring you down to Nagoya, and then you can in the morning you can sleep here, you know, and you can get some sleep, and then we'll see what what." Uh, so they brought us down to the clouds, and then we had us play close formation, right close by, you know, just like the Thunderbirds do. I did a lot of that too. I was in a drill team there. In fact, I was stationed where the Thunderbirds were in Indian Springs, mm -hmm. doing the same thing, you know, all of the little, you know, and a drill team. But uh, how'd it go? Yeah, and then they let us down on the ground, and we, we landed. Then we were so uh, thankful that we, as officers, you know, you can commission a Jeep, you know, you can get it. So we got a Jeep, and we said, where's that? hill where them guys talk, talk to us. Oh, that mountain up there. So we went up there in the mountain mm -hmm. with our Jeep and we talked to them guys and they were so tickled that their job, they finally saved somebody, you know. Mm -hmm. We had supper with them yet, you know, we spent a few hours and then we came back. They were just tickled to death. They, were, they weren't doing nothing for nothing. Yeah, that was quite, quite, quite uh, a lot of fun. You just mentioned in, in passing here that you were doing uh, drill team flying and, and things like yeah. that. What was the purpose of that? Well, you know, I had an instructor. He picked three of us. And he'd like to, he'd like to, the, um, I, I said, why did the Thunderbirds do it? And just uh, please the crowd, I guess. <laughs> and he said, we'll do that. And he picked three of us. Mm -hmm. And he could tell which ones had to be, you had to be real, you know, I don't know, kind of, you didn't, weren't excitable. Mm 
mm-hmm. and you could fly slow, you know, and you know, we did our, you know, in, in, in Las Vegas, we had a drill team, and we even landed a few times in Indian Springs, which is 50 miles away from Vegas, that's where the Thunderbirds are actually stationed, mm-hmm. Yeah, we flew in there, yeah, and it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised he picked me, but I guess he thought I could fly pretty good, too. Well, when you were doing it, I mean, were you ever sort of putting on a show or performing for anybody? Or no, we didn't. Doing it? No, we didn't, no. No, we didn't, no. I, I was always the wing on the right. Mm-hmm. I hated the guy in the back, and in the fourth slot. He had mm-hmm. his tail was in the jet stream, and he always came back with the tail all black. <laughs> you, you know, it was right in, that's how close you're flying, yeah, in the black tail, yeah. Okay, uh, have you got anything else on the list there? Oh, yeah. You're up to, yeah. Oh, yeah, one more thing I'll say. In uh, Korea, every time we went up on mission, we had drop tanks on, too. Mm-hmm. Each one is 120 gallons, and always we went up the drop tanks, and always we dropped them when we got to 40,000 feet mm-hmm. about in the combat zone, because you cannot dogfight with right. the tanks on. And the people on the ground, they say they grabbed them, you know, it was metal, you know, they could make mm-hmm. pans and popping pans out of them. So, and we had maybe six guys, eight guys at the time in a fight, and they'd all drop them at the same time. The leader would say, drop tanks now. Now you'd see them all flutter mm-hmm. down, they just... It takes a long time for a tank to get on the ground when you're, you know, and you, here's another thing, if, if you uh, parachute out at 45,000 feet, it takes you 40 minutes to get the ground with a parachute. That's how high you are. Mm-hmm. 30,000 feet, it takes you a half hour. Can you imagine that? That's how high you are. When you were training, did they have you uh, practice parachuting or it was just? You know, I wore a parachute all the time, sometimes a seat pack, sometimes a backpack, mm-hmm. but I never had to bail out. They never made us. And I'm kind of glad too. But they says uh, their excuse was, "It's there. If you need it, you will. <laughs> you mm-hmm. will bail out, and you will pull the parachute. Yeah, and that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. you will do it if you need it." Okay. Here. Now, when you were finally discharged, then then what did you go on and do from there? After I got out, yeah, yeah. Then I got these telegrams from it was a Continental airline that time, American airline, and three of them. They telegrams said, "Please." come down for interview because you got a good record, you flew jets, and you uh, you are you had instrument training mm-hmm. certified. Say so we need pilots because we're transitioning our, our commercial airplanes now to jets. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could have had a job just like that. Mm-hmm. But the wife wanted to come back and buy her, and she didn't want to be all over the world. or You know how that goes. And so I, I, I said, okay. Then I, it turned out okay, too, because I had the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. You know, I could go and I went to Bradley University two years and I went to jewelry school and then I started jewelry store in Byron and I had that for 40 years. That was good for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That How do you think your uh, military experience kind of maybe affected you either as a person or directions you took in your life after that? Yeah. You know, I, I really don't know if, if it, uh, looking back, you know, I said, wow, I can't believe it. But uh, I, uh, I don't know. I th- personally, I'm a guy that thinks everybody should be in the military for one year. Just, you know, it, it's so good for the discipline. Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing, too. When I first went in the basic training in Lackland, the, the Southern boys, they all had uh, training. They all to military school, just all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they still were fighting the Civil War yet. We, none of us up here, and they could all march. They could all, they know exactly what to do. I couldn't march for nothing. Some you get out pretty good when you have a while, you know, but that surprised me. And they, they also, they were, the Civil War, boy, you talk to them, they, they're just um, a couple of guys who were fought over yet in the basic training. 
Kid McCampbell, and, and yeah, they're fighting over it. You know, there's a war, yeah, a bit fish fight. During the time that you were uh, in the Air Force, was it getting integrated at all? I mean, were they bringing any uh, black soldiers in to, into either your units or on the bases or things like that, or were, were things still segregated? You mean down south? Well, either south or when you're in Korea. Oh no, there was no uh, no no segregation. No, I think it was, that was a question, wasn't it? Well, I was asking, was there still segregation uh, within the military? At the time? Uh, I didn't see it. So no, I didn't see it. So were there? So did you have uh, black soldiers serving? You in just your had units? one black pilot. Mm -hmm. Just one. Yeah. And what about in the ground crews and support units? Ground crews. I, I didn't, um, I, I didn't, uh, there's very few at that time, uh, black, brown, uh, ground crew, very, very few. Because that's, you know, that's been 50 years ago almost, in it, yeah. mm -hmm. and it, there wasn't very few in it at that, that time yet. Right. I think it's probably changed now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the thing, you know, you look at that Kempo too, as the air base where it was, we only had maybe 30 pilots. Mm -hmm. And then I bet they had, uh, that, that, that base was uh, probably, uh, Five thousand people. Right. What a support people mm -hmm. it takes for just for twenty-five pilot. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. What support? Yeah. All right then. Uh, thank you very much for talking to us. The preceding program is copyrighted by Grand Valley State University. Visit us at gbsu.edu.